Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am your host, David Rothkopf, and we are here in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK with Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University, Evelyn Farkas of the Atlantic Council, Ed Luce of the Financial Times, and far, far away in beautiful um, London, England, is Corey Shockey (laughs) (laughs) drifting off to sleep because of the time difference. But we will get her attention back because, Corey, you know what starts today, which is to say the day that this episode airs? I don't know. It's it's. Eight days too early for pitchers and catchers to report. Oh, that's true. And by the way, that's but more you're important. you're close. You're close. You're very close. It's an athletic event that involves the whole world and possibly nuclear destruction. Oh, wait! You're in the Super Bowl. I'm kidding. No. I know you mean the Olympics. Yeah, no, we don't. The Super Bowl will never be mentioned again on this podcast. <laughs> Okay. Um, at least until next year, and we'll see how it turns out. Um, but I have deep, deep emotional scars and walked the streets of Alexandria, Virginia, in a faint <laughs> haze of tears. Um, but let's, why, why do I have to relive that? The Olympics are starting, and the Olympics are taking place in South Korea, which is near, by the way, those of you who don't have a map, North Korea. Oh. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And going to represent the United States of America (laughs) is Mike Fence. Fence. (laughs) I say Mike Fence Fence. because as I was reading my friend Anna Fifield's articles in the Washington Post, they point out that there is no P in Korean. Uh, And so when they print things out, (laughs) it says Mike Fence. I don't. I don't know because she then said that her name, which is Fifield, was used to be print, was written out as Pipefield. Um, but <laughs> that's very confusing. Uh, that is confusing. And I would be Parkus. Uh, Park, yeah, weird. Um, but in any event, Mike Mike Pence is going, and he has decided to bring with him the parents of Otto Warmbier, who was uh, brutalized and effectively killed at the hands of the North Koreans, which doesn't sound like a great diplomatic gesture to me. Meanwhile, the North (laughs) Koreans have sent a team uh, and they will be unified as a team with the South Koreans. Um, They have irritated everybody else because the logo that they're using on their joint uniforms has a tiny dot which claims for the Koreas some Japanese islands, at least in the eyes of the Japanese. So that's offending people. So all this is getting off to a great start in the Olympic spirit. Um, (laughs) That actually kind of is the Olympic spirit, isn't it? Well, exactly. So I, I think it's a useful time to look at the state of play and things 
in the Koreas. Um, Corey, perhaps you, since we've started off with you and 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 we've got you past pitchers and catchers, what you know, what, what, do you worry when you know guys like Mike Pence head off to these kind of things with these kind of ham-fisted, undiplomatic efforts at 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 sending a message? So um, this may surprise you, but I'm actually fine with the vice president of the United States taking as his guest the parents of an American citizen who was tortured to death by the North Korean government. Um, I worry a little bit about the North Korean reaction to that, but I don't mind at all uh, sending that blunt a political signal about about an American who was effectively tortured to death by that government. And so being in your face and undiplomatic about that, I feel like if the North Koreans weren't torturing people to death, they wouldn't have that humiliation. Okay. Uh, that said, uh, am I nervous about, about uh, the vice president's ability to carry off delicate diplomatic uh, undertakings? Yes. I just don't think the Olympics are such a thing. Uh, okay, well, Ed, as you look forward to the Olympics, undoubtedly you follow them closely. As a, you look like a a luge man to me, <laughs> luge. Uh, yeah. Right yeah, yeah, right. Ed, Ed will give us the appropriate yes, pronunci- pronunciation. Um, but uh, we, 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 this is at a very, very delicate moment in a very, very delicate part of the world, and yet. You have the North Koreans and the South Koreans behaving in a fairly civilized way towards each other. Is it possible that there's there's a little more hope in this equation than we've been factoring in recently? Um, yeah, it's certainly possible. I mean, if you look back to uh, the days before Kim Jong-un made his um, New Year's week um, sort of overture to the South, to, to Moon Jae-in, um, then things are looking a lot less bad now than they were then. Um, yeah. The um, You're distracting me. You're showing some really important tweet, and uh, it seems to be relevant to your next question. Can you show it to me? <laughs> can you, can, feel, you, can you share that with the rest of the wow, class, Dave? Yeah. I was fine being excluded. Yeah, that, so I will not be excluded. <laughs> well, I, Ed, let me tell you something about the thing that I was just showing Rosa, okay? It happened four days ago. Because this is being broadcast in a couple of days, oh, so true. it's not that relevant. Know what okay. I mean? No, I just feel I just feel like a follow up question is going to be related to the tweet you and Rosa were sharing. I, I didn't see it because he just sort of flashed in front of me, so I couldn't actually read it. So we're similarly disadvantaged, Ed. Actually, yeah, sorry, flashing things, but no, no, don't worry. Um, it actually said, "Ed talks funny." <laughs> Um, I, 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 I'm, I interrupted myself in midpoint saying things do look less bad than they did, you know, in late December. And Kim Jong-un sort of took the initiative and he's retained the initiative um, in the last few weeks. And this is definitely less bad than North Korea not joining South Korea in Pyeongchang this week. So, uh, yes, if you want to see the glass half full, I guess you can see it as half full. Once these games are over... Um, we get back onto the North Korean nuclear testing timetable. Um, there is a hydrogen atmospheric test sort of that the North Koreans want to carry out. 
doing so would be a major provo provocation. It would it would be a way different order to to the underground tests that they've carried out um, hitherto. And secondly, the Americans suspended um, South Korean joint military exercises in in the region will take place. They were suspended just for the games. Yeah, exactly. Postponed rather. Um, so uh, the the chances of getting back to square one very quickly are very high. But we should take small blessings, small mercies where we can find them. And for the next few days, hopefully, we'll be more interested in in women's ice hockey. I, I'm I'm really worried. If I can jump in. Well, I was I was going to turn to you there, Evelyn, and and I was Maybe sensing. I that. Evelyn, you look worried. <laughs> I was sensing that you were worried, and that it had nothing to do with the luge, or, or missing the or, or or by the way, curling. No, I don't. Know, what mm -hmm. I mean, what is that? I mean, seriously, how did that end up being an Olympic sport, where you take a and broom? Baseball, not. You have a broom. Baseball is and a big round stone. <laughs> and you slide it down the ice? I, I refuse to take Not to bait. speak of hurling. I want to... I'm <laughs> sticking hurling. to my... Yeah, hurling and hurling. Hurling. Can we really... Can we judge relative to some of the other really boring Olympic sports? Actually, I did hear someone on NPR talking about throwing axes and how throwing axes would become like bowling someday. I kid you not. Oh yeah, let's take the kids like, out. Like it's a sport. For, it's gonna be a sport. Let's like take bowling. a bunch of ten-year-old boys, ten-year-old boys out for the birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, yeah. uh, we'll have an axe throwing party. Can you imagine? Let's go over to Rosa Brooks's house. Every ten-year-old that, that I know would love that party. <laughs> yeah, right. We have a nation uh, full of one-armed boys, <laughs> ten-year-old boys. Um, in no time at all. Okay, sorry to get you off your point. You're scared, and this wasn't the reason that you're unnerved. <laughs> you succeeded in, in <laughs> bringing reason. me off the point. Yeah. Well, I'm worried because, first of all, we have, let's not forget that the president, his his uh, NSC advisor, others, uh, really even General Dumford, they've spoken alarmingly about North Korea and the fact that its capability, they, it cannot have a nuclear capability, it cannot have the ability to hit the United States with the, with the nuclear armed missile. So, you know, and, and they seem increasingly serious about this. I'm hearing a lot of rumors from people who actually are in the know that, that this talk is quite earnest. And then you have the Mueller investigation, the president under pressure from the Mueller investigation. The day of the State of the Union, he had lunch with media folks, and apparently he was talking about unifying the country. And he said, well, you know, the best way, of course, to unify a country is, or not the best way, but one way to unify the country is to have some kind of attack like 9-11. Of course, I prefer and hope that I don't need that to unify the country. But kind of dangling out there when I heard that was, well, he thinks North Korea is a crisis, which I believe he's manufactured into a crisis because it's not as if there's a ticking time bomb right now. I mean, yes, time is not no longer appears to be on our side, but let's not fool ourselves. It's not as if the North Koreans are about to launch some kind of attack against us. We don't even know whether they have the capability to have a missile survive reentry with a nuclear weapon, and they're not likely to use it unless we attack them, unless they think that we're about to take down the well, regime. Well, they, all, they so, also know that 30 seconds after they launch the missile, if not dead. before, they're all right, dead, right. so it would probably be pointless gesture. But, but I've also heard the argument that, well, but there are people in the White House and the administration who believe that Kim Jong-un is not 
sane, that somehow he would do something that was n- not rational. That's so he would not follow that rationality. You've got to bet that Kim Jong-un is sitting around asking the same question about Donald Trump. Well, but in any event, so that frightens me. I'm not as relaxed as Ed because I keep thinking, okay, can can we somehow slow down time when it comes to North Korea and then accelerate the Mueller investigation so that the American people get to find out what is behind it and so that the president can't play games with international affairs? Well, but, but the president, what's going on in the Pentagon? Well, that's where I'm, I'm worried because— I do believe that if you ask most military uh, folks, you know, they would agree with me that there's time and and they would just look at the the risk, the potential cost to a whole range of American interests, you know, including people, including installations, including our military positioned in in South Korea and in Japan, Guam, et cetera. So the the reality is that most military analysts would look at the risk, but what I'm hearing, and again, I hate to report rumor because I'm I'm not a reporter, but I do have people that I know who. Well, Ed's a reporter. Tell him, and he'll say I've heard yeah. on good authority. Yeah. I mean, you know that that that, that <laughs> apparently in there is a strain of thinking in the military at high levels. You know that that perhaps we can do something preventative. And again, you know, with quotes around the word preventative. Well, but because- see, you're a former senior Obama official, and so Ed, we can now write. <laughs> <laughs> former senior Obama official reports rumblings from within yeah, the Pentagon, and, and that and and the rumblings are real. I mean, you know, I, I, I and I don't want to go too far into my sources, but um, th- it does worry me. Okay, well, let's go to d- d- Corey's sources. So, got any texts recently from Jim Mattis? <laughs> I will leave the Secretary of All Defense to speak for his own little self. Uh, well, but but but, but let, let me let me let me let me fine tune this question just a bit, because Evelyn's talking about something very specific, and I think there is no way to look at the situation in the Koreas without coming to the conclusion that it is far less likely that the North Koreans strike first with with any sort of. Uh, nuclear weapon or, or, or frankly, with any weapons of any sort, than it is that we strike first because either, A, we fear an irrational act from them, or, B, we don't want them to gain certain capabilities that we feel would make an irrational act much more costly in the future. So the real threat lies here, not there. Is that not correct, Corey? I agree with your assessment of the American incentive structure as envisioned by the Trump administration. Uh, But one of the things that makes me nervous about discussions about war on the Korean Peninsula is any of us purporting to know what the North Koreans want or would do. Uh, I can come up with a logical explanation for why North Korea would want nuclear weapons for regime survival and would therefore take a very narrow interpretation to their utility, and it could be a source of strategic stability. But I have a very low level of confidence that I, or almost anybody else, knows what the North Koreans want to do. I share your implicit judgment, though, David, that uh, the risks we would run in initiating a preventative war on the Korean Peninsula are so staggering, not just in terms of the number of 
Americans, Japanese, and South Koreans that would potentially be killed in that undertaking, that voluntary undertaking, but also how much it would change the geopolitical map of the world as everybody started hedging against the United States as a greater threat to their security than their adversaries. Because, uh, right, if we're willing to put uh, 300,000 Koreans, or even let's take the lowest, the lowest imaginable estimate, 100,000 South Koreans, if we are willing to see them put to the sword to die in artillery barrages or ballistic missile barrages in order that Americans could be more secure from the potential risks that the North Koreans run or that the North Koreans pose for us, and that, by the way, you rightly emphasize, we have nuclear deterrence threatening the survival of their regime if they should carry it out. If we voluntarily undertake that, I can't imagine why any country would want the United States to be the rule setter, would submit without a fight to us enforcing those kinds of rules. It reshapes the world if we do this. She dropped the mic. Oh, I like that reference. By the way, Ed, dropping the mic means. (laughs) (laughs) You're our British colleague. Rosa, you are also a former senior Obama defense official. What are your friends saying? And please break their confidences. <laughs> I, no, I, I don't have anything to add, really, to Corey's very sobering analysis. I, you know, I think my my sense, frankly, is is no better than yours. Just reading the newspaper, um, but my sense is that. Many people within the Pentagon, from Madison down, are are very worried that there is there is no there is no neat surgical good military option that doesn't mean that there aren't military options but just they're they're all they're they're sort of varying degrees of catastrophic for South Korea and for for US troops and i think they it 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 does the, the reporting that has come out in the last week or so um that suggests that the Pentagon has been trying very, very hard to get the president to understand that uh, seems to me perfectly plausible uh, and and not at all inconsistent with the with the duty of those in the Pentagon to do precisely that. Uh, at the end of the day, I think anybody who – you've seen a few occasional little weird fantasies of, well, maybe the Pentagon would refuse to carry out some sort of Trump-ordered strike. I think, I think that that's – exceedingly unlikely, vanishingly unlikely at the end of the day, no matter how catastrophically awful and unwise uh, Pentagon leaders felt a Trump order was, they they, they would presumably carry it out, um, given the amount of buildup there's been. Uh, uh, and and the results, as, as Corey suggests, would be profoundly destabilizing in addition to being very tragic for in terms of the lives lost. You know, it would cause all of our friends to essentially say with friends like the U.S. who needs enemies and uh, to look for other sources of assurance. And, and unfortunately, I, you know, I don't think that there, we're, we're likely to enjoy the outcome of that. By the way, you know, I have some evidence, empirical evidence here. Uh, uh, Ian, our producer, was in the United States military, and so far as far as my experience has been, he would do anything that you asked him to do. And <laughs> I don't know, Ian. Would you? I, I have to just address this question directly to Ian. Ian, would you launch a nuclear first strike against North Korea? Dear me. 
How much am I getting paid again? <laughs> okay, Ian would like to know how much is getting paid. <laughs> Ian, Ian, however, knows that down here in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of Stark, we're safe, we are safe from all attacks. Rosa brings up an interesting point. That is that there are people with rational views in the Pentagon, and there are people with rational views elsewhere. By the way, I'm not so sure that H.R. McMaster is one of those people um, on this particular issue, um, because he seems to be in the bloody nose as possible camp, which is is very dangerous, right? Um, but, you know, she Rosa talks about people persuading the president of X and persuading. Now, you probably do you ever go up to the White House? Do yeah. they let you in? Do you ever talk to people in there? And, they, you know, <laughs> sure. Not McMaster, though. Not McMaster. But other people, as you speak to them there, do they ever lament to you that sometimes it's hard to reach or persuade the president? Um, well, look, McMaster's not just uh, not just sort of the bloody nose, clearly. The bloody nose um, brigade um, and behind Victor Char's withdrawal of Victor Char's nomination as ambassador. That's to useful. Just talk for South a second Korea. about that withdrawal because, although it happened a week ago, it's it's worth bringing some of our listeners up to speed. Well, as uh, he'd he'd been nominated, he's a hawk. He was in the Bush administration. He's a conventional hawk, um, running Asia po- policy at the National Security Council for the Bush Junior administration. So very much on the the hawkish side of the spectrum, but was had his name withdrawn as a nominee to be America's ambassador to South Korea, having privately disputed um, the merits of the bloody nose um, approach, the preemptive strike on North Korea that we've just been talking about. By the way, just to emphasize, the euphemism bloody nose, per Corey's good analysis, is 100,000 dead Koreans. You know, in other words, what we're saying is a bloody nose. Right is tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dead people. Indeed. Indeed. And McMaster, you know, was clearly behind the removal of Victor Char. So, yes, there is a McMaster-Mattis divide. I know Corey can speak speak more about that, but there is a clear divide um, there. And McMaster, um, remember, was the first person to publicly muse about whether Kim Jong-un was a rational actor. Um, uh, the basis of which, you know, as Evelyn was also talking about, all nuclear doctrine is grounded, that you have to assume that the heads of countries, you know, with the fine territory that have nuclear weapons are rational actors. And if they think that you don't think they are, then they're going to start behaving irrationally because um, they they think you're going to you're going to treat them um, very differently than if you assumed they were rational. And McMaster again initiated that. So, do people worry about you know the president not listening to all the sane people around him? Well, that depends who you define as the sane people around him. And so, I think your McMaster point sort of gets to the core of it. The head of the National Security Council was somebody we assumed to be in the so-called axis of adults a few months ago. I'm not sure we make that assumption anymore. We certainly don't automatically make that assumption about his chief of staff, um, General Kelly. Heck no. Um, uh, and, and, so, and not Mike Pompeo. And Mike, not Mike Pompeo, who, you know, might well be the person who replaced Tillerson if Tillerson, it, it, as indeed is you know, widely rumored, goes sometime in the coming weeks and months. Um, so, so who are we left with? We're, we're left with the, the Secretary of Defense, um, Jim Mattis, essentially for all intents and purposes, perhaps Pottinger, who heads Asia policy at the National Security Council. I think he's a pretty well-grounded um, person. Um, but 
that's not a very reassuring um, bunch of people. Yeah, I, size I noticed, by the way, during the State of the Union, which for some reason I watched, um, Mattis got this incredibly enthusiastic applause right. from both sides. You know, they mentioned his name, and it's like, "Yay, Mattis! Please stay where you are. We're we're all depending on you." Um, but uh, but that's not true with McMaster. There's a lot of rumors and stuff swirling around that McMaster may not last, and that indeed he might be replaced. Um, by John Bolton. Uh, um, really? I, I find that hard to believe. I thought he had the wrong facial hair. It's appropriate yeah. time to, He's got a shave. to give sail to my theory of, of suitability for cabinet positions. I could hear Rosa preemptively laughing because she knows what I'm going to say, which is Shockey's theory of suitability is that anybody who makes catastrophic stylistic choices not like bad or boring. It's not, not suited to high laser. Exactly. John Bolton looks in the mirror every morning when he's shaving and thinks a 1970s porn star mustache but is just the look. Don't you think the Wait a minute. Don't you think Wait a minute. In my how, Corey, Corey. How do you know what a 1970s porn star bad. mustache looks like? Well, I do think, John Bolton, maybe it would improve our relations with the, the, the Turks and with the Iraqis, and because there are entire countries in which every man sports a 1970s porn star mustache. Well, then there's, then there's that also... the gesture we Not need. to wow. mention the Pakistani cricket team. Not to wow. mention the Pakistani cricket <laughs> Again, not having <laughs> seen terrible. a 1970s porn film. Wow. This is very judgmental you know, I know. And awful. I'm offended. I'm, a, I'm offended. people who were born Again, let somewhere me say, else. Again, let John Bolton's judgment, my friends. But can every I, single day he can looks I in the mirror and change, thinks, change the subject. What a great choice I'm making. <laughs> I want to change the subject now that we're on to 1970s porn. I think this would be a good time to change the subject because, of course, we're not listening to Corey because we're all sitting here checking the balances in our 401ks. Because as we record, as we record this episode, the stock market has just plummeted 1,500 points. Now, by the time this episode airs, who knows what will happen? Capitalism could completely collapse. On the other hand, it could rebound. But I'm wondering, David, if we can talk about President Trump in the State of the Union address was very happy to take full credit for the uh, multi-year stock market rally. Uh, if there is this either either if this volatility is just that or if there's a big slump. Do we think it's going to have any impact on his perceptions of Trump? Yes, because it, it feeds then back into the narrative that I laid out earlier, which is the president needs some way to beef up, you know, bring his his somehow bring his ratings up. And unfortunately, you know, having the stock market go down is going to cause him to become even more alarmed. And you've got to to mention, you know, if you could think of a better round of applause for Janet Yellen, it's like the first day of her successor. It's like, uh, the the market's J-Pal. Yeah, we're not so sure anymore. Yeah, no, it's a good trade. It was like like when Bob Rubin left the Treasury Department during the clip and handed the keys over to Larry Summers. And it was like, Rubin is a trader. He knows exactly what's happened. He gets out before the market turns. And sure enough, you know, the next thing that that the next big move. Or alternatively, of course, does this just make uh, conflict in North Korea with North Korea even more likely? Because now we need to distract. Well, I think that's I think that's a really, really important point. And I would say two things in response to what you were saying as a former 
senior economic official in the United States government. The first is capitalism has failed. Um, you know, I mean, I, I just think that now there are many kinds of capitalism, and I think Anglo-American, you know, you know, you know, sort of, uh, Dar you know, um, Darwinian capitalism, in which you know it's like you know every man for himself and everything for the top point oh 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 one percent has failed. There are forms of capitalism that are doing better out there in the world, but growing inequality is a serious, um, serious problem. But I, th I think the bigger and most important issue here that you do raise is, you know, whether the, the market volatility of earlier this week um, continues or the market volatility of, of earlier this week um, does not, but perhaps presages a kind of uh, eroding confidence, a kind of a sense that um, the, the the past, what, nine years of recovery um, are due for a change and things start to soften. This is the only card Trump has. The only, you know, when, when we started talking in our last episode, Ed, you made some comments about you know, the, the Corey's on the phone to her broker, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I heard a phone. Um, sell, sell. <laughs> but, 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 um, but you have a broker that calls you. That's impressive. But, uh, <laughs> but in any event, this, this, the, you know, the, his Trump card has been that he inherited the end of the Obama recovery. And well, that's if, not he how he puts it. No, it's not. <laughs> but but if it ends, then he's going to have to he's going to go into that that very small deck of cards that he can possibly deal himself to regain um, some kind of momentum or support. And those are all kind of wag the dog cards, aren't they? Ed? Actually, I mean, I wasn't joking when I referred to, to Yellen. I mean, the debate about whether this is Obama's stock market or Trump's, this is substantially the Federal Reserve's stock market. And Janet Yellen, you know, presided. I don't think any there's any Fed chair in the history of the Fed that has actually achieved the twin goals of low, consistently low unemployment and stable inflation. She's come closest of any Fed uh, chair in history to that. Um, and, and she's been the only female Fed And the chair. only female. Um, and the only one not to have their term renewed, perhaps uncoincidentally. Um, uh, so I don't necessarily think this is a market comment on Jay Powell. But you're right. Um, Trump's idea of um, the most macho measure of whether he's a good president or not is the stock market measure. When aides on the economic side... Uh, want to head Trump off from some madcap, you know, trade war, they say, Mr. President, it'll be bad for the stock market. Um, and he's hostage to his own fortune here. He's, he's, he's made it the metric, um, the ultimate metric of his performance. Um, but, you know, consistency um, <laughs> is, is, not, is not a great Trumpian virtue. And I'm sure he'll find a, I'm sure he'll find another the VIX index, maybe the volatility index, will become his new <laughs> right. his new like measure. The, the of, polls that he likes, the, the Rasmussen. Exactly, like Rasmussen polls. Um, he'll maybe he'll maybe slip out just, of this one, or at least try. Maybe it'll just be membership prices at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, which yes, seem to be double. going up. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to go up again. Yeah, he could sell Mar-a-Lago futures. Actually, I wouldn't buy a Mar-a-Lago future. What are the 
what are the what are the cards he can play? It's, let's just imagine it's August. We're two months away from a congressional midterm election. The stock market is down. The economy has slowed. Job growth has slowed. I, we don't have to be in a catastrophic situation. It's just all of a sudden it's 30, 40, 50 percent worse than it was under Obama. It's it's a little worse now, but it, but it, but it would be a lot worse. And and you're looking, and all of a sudden the approval ratings are going down, and 50 members of Congress are leaving their seats. What do you do? My fear is again. Now I'm not going to say that the president would engineer a terrorist attack or a war with North Korea necessarily, because I, for some part of me hesitates in making. You know, I can't make that kind of allegation, but. There will be the temptation if there is some kind of attack, and there have been quite a few attacks, not, well, yeah, here and in the UK last summer, uh, terrorist attacks, and we know how the president responds to those, and we have him on the record saying that they're they're very good unifying events, or they're maybe not good, but they're unifying events. They have been unifying events for his predecessors. So I worry about how he would attempt to take advantage of some kind of terrorist attack or some other national security threat, not necessarily of his making. And then, of course, I also worry about him just possibly doing some kind of preventative act, you know, preventative strike against North Korea. And I put preventative in quotes. Anybody else on what what we might expect later in the because, by the way, my prediction is that the economy will soften later in this year. We are nine years into a recovery. Trees don't grow to the sky. The markets have been unusually high. Um, the Trump administration is unabashedly trying to prop things up with a weak dollar, um, which, by the way, the Secretary of Treasury is not supposed to <laughs> promote in the way that Mnuchin prom- promotes it. Um, but, but you know, the weak dollar has is a, d- a double-edged sword, of course. You know, it might improve sales of U.S. goods overseas, but it makes it much harder for U.S. consumers to buy goods at home. Uh, could slow down growth, has a bunch of other consequences for the bond market. What, what do we, what, what, you know, the, this, this seems like our future. And in a weak America with a weaker economy, um, is a kind of uh, uh, double. I mean, it's 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 a more dangerous America than even the America of 2017. Yes, Rosa. <laughs> yes, David. This is sort of the injured giant theory. Yeah, no, I I think that's right. And and unlike Evelyn, I I absolutely could see uh, Trump manufacturing some flimsy excuse to use military force. I mean. The, the classic uh, wag the dog scenario, I think, seems perfectly plausible to me. Uh, the only thing I don't, I don't actually think would motivate Trump, I don't think Trump really cares at all whether the Republicans hold on to the House and Senate. He should, obviously, not not least for his own self-preservation. But I think he is so profoundly self-centered that he is not terribly interested in the fate of his party. He is only interested in his own approval ratings. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, just it is worth mentioning whether you, you know, see Obama's stock market performance um, as better or worse than Trump's, and you can measure these things. Um, uh, that America's has actually undershot the global average in 2017. All all boats have been lifted 
by rising tide of liquidity. But this looks like, and I think market market downturn is something to do with um, the end of the period of easy liquidity and free capital. And, you know, that is ultimately what's happening and stock markets all over the world are going down. Well, that's that's worrisome, particularly since we know maybe maybe not all of you know this, but Ed, weren't you once a speechwriter for Larry Summers in those final days of the, the, the of the Clinton administration? I was indeed, yes, in in, um, in very different times than. And and to go back to our prior, to go back to. I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't either. Yeah. And to go back to to to, to prior uh, episode, did you have him say? The United States economy is going down the tubes. <laughs> um, I, I did not. No, no, that didn't feature in any of his speeches. Um, but uh, so I don't think you, he was going to teach Larry Summers how to speak. But I, I, I just got to ask you a question here. We have a couple of minutes left. But but what do you think of Mnuchin? Just going back onto that experience, because he's not playing out of the playbook of any past Treasury Secretary. Yeah, um, I think he's um, out of his depth. Um, but uh, you know, this is this is a president who's out of his depth too. So it's sort of the least of our worries. Um, his comments on the dollar were more in the realm of naivety and inexperience than any any great sort of tra- transcending of any great boundary. Because yeah, if you read the full remarks, we kind of jumped on it a little bit too much, I think. Um, uh, so I wouldn't fault him for that. Him and his wife being on the for- floor of, uh, you know, the dollar printing presses and waving them, um, you know, at a camera, on the other hand, um, I-, I would I would use as sort of exhibit A in the case to remove this man from office. He is not befitting of, of such a role. Is there anybody in Trump's cabinet other than James Mattis that we think ought to stay in their job? <laughs> Dead silence. I'm sitting here. There are five people. Anybody? Get throw bone. Let's just eliminate. Not Betsy DeVos. Not Betsy DeVos. Not, not, not Rick Perry. Not, no. uh, not, not Rex ben Tillerson. Carson. Not Ben Carson. Tillerson. Uh, not Tillerson. Um, not the APA not Mnuchin, guy. Not Scott Pruitt. Pruitt. Oh, Pruitt. Um, no, Sorry. definitely not him. Who is small biz? Oh, it's that um, McMahon. Um, Linda McMahon. McMahon. Sorry, not McMahon. McMahon's the same spelling, <laughs> wrong pronunciation. Uh, nope, I can't think of one. Um, no, nope, nobody. Corey, nope. I mean, I think the question in my mind. So with Tillerson, <laughs> although he's done incredible bureaucratic damage and you know damage to the morale of the State Department, I guess the question in the back of my head would be, but but what what's next? You know, if we got rid of him, because I I think excellent Bolton, question, right? So I don't think Till I, Tillerson I might want to keep if given. Yeah, well, no, no, no. If we got we got fa- I have to say Nikki Haley. Then I would like to keep Tillerson. Nikki Haley against this crop might Nikki be. Nikki Haley, and she's in the cabinet. Yeah. I'm with I'm with Ed. Nikki Haley, I think, has yeah. done a great job acquitting herself. And by the way. In this, in to... this administration, acquitting yourself may mean yeah. something else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well but, 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 but I do think, you know, it's not impossible to imagine at some point in the next, you know, uh, couple of months, having Tillerson replaced by Pompeo and McMaster replaced by John Bolton. <laughs> 
And that's not a trade up. No. No. That's, I mean, that would be a much darker, a much darker place. Well, you know what we like to do at the end of each episode <laughs> of Deep State Radio? We like to leave you in a darker place. Because, <laughs> you know, when they turn the lights out here down in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of Snark, it gets really dark down here, too. But we're glad you join us here every week. It makes us feel less like mole rats. Um, and uh, Not to be confused with mole rats. No, mole rats, that's, <laughs> that, which, by the way, was a terrible movie, um, in case you have seen it. But a... But, but, uh, but in case blind. You were thinking of watching it tonight, <laughs> right? However, if you look, Google blind mole rats, that's pretty much what we come up with. Um, so, before we go, all of you out there, if you've got ideas for upcoming episodes, ideas for promoting us, ideas for getting us out there, out and amongst you, um, you know, venues we can all go to and drink together, uh, send them in to us. We'll send you a T-shirt. We'll send you a mug. We send out mugs every week. Um, and T-shirts now every week. And come and join us in the weeks ahead, because as we're in our new glamorous studio, we're going to add all sorts of fantastic special effects. Ian's going to dance. Um, there's going to be all sorts of things that are going to happen that are going to make you want to tune in. Uh, uh, so come on back. Come on back soon. Next week, Nuclear Posture Review. Put a book on your head. And we will give you your own nuclear posture review. Thank you very much, Ed. Thank you very much, Evelyn. Thank you very much, Rosa. Thank you very much, Corey. Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.